Welcome to the Future of Medicine podcast, where we believe that feeling great and living a long time is possible and that your healthcare should help you get there. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Wenzel. My hope is simple, that this show will help you along your journey to becoming the healthiest, strongest, and most powerful version of you possible. Now, let's jump into the show. Hey, everybody. In this episode, Jen and I are going to be talking about uh, screening smart for cancer, uh, both for men and women. Uh, We have a lot of really interesting things to say, a lot of things that you've heard before, a lot of new twists and turns, uh, but overall, a really great conversation about something that matters a lot. Hope you enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Future of Medicine podcast. I am your host, Dr. Aaron Wenzel. I am joined, as always, by the lovely and talented Jen Justice. Hello. Hello, Jen. How are you? Wonderful. How are you? I'm great. The light in here is great today. <laughs> it's debatable. <laughs> uh, excited about this episode. Um, we are going to be talking about screening smarter. So how to protect yourself against common cancers. You know, we spend a lot of time talking about the future, um, really cutting edge things, and we get really excited about those things. And they certainly play a role, and we are bullish on them, and we are bullish on the future. But there are several very important screening um, tools available for people that we can't overlook the things that are working really, really well. Yeah. Um, And that's what this episode is all about. Um, The reason this is a big deal is that cancer is still, you know, one of our, what we call our big three, Mm -hmm. cancer, heart disease, and then cognitive decline or dementia, Alzheimer's, Uh, 600,000 people a year die from cancer Mm -hmm. that's a over half a million people every year that are no longer with us that were taken too soon because of a disease called cancer that's a major 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 um, issue it's Mm -hmm. a major contributor to mortality Uh, and it needs to be talked about I um, you know I think the irony of this whole thing and you and I experienced this clearly on the list of the three things that people want to avoid. Yeah. It's on everyone's mind. They don't want to get it. Yet, it is not uncommon for us to find people who are well beyond the age of where they needing to get their screening colonoscopy or their thing, their breast mammogram. The amount of disconnect between how scary it is and how much it is on people's mind and how little people are proactively doing the diagnostic screening activities looking for it early (laughs) Mm -hmm. probably would surprise a lot of people yeah i mean i when we were prepping for this we were talking about the resistance maybe is the right word to many of our members just staying on top of their screenings number one and we do a really good job of reminding them when they're due and getting them scheduled and you know kind of bullish on (laughs) not kind of, but very bullish on them getting them done. But, you know, my my own personal history, I was very resistant to my screening colonoscopy. I didn't get it done until earlier this year. And it was really our nurse just scheduling it for me that made me do it. Um, But so many people, you know, I'm too busy or I'll look for a date and then months go by. And um, it's just not, you know, while cancer may be forefront on their mind getting the screenings, 
and, and kind of working through that barrier of getting them scheduled and making sure they're on track with them can sometimes be a challenge for us. Yeah, and I think just addressing the proverbial elephant in the room, mm-hmm. it's scary. Yeah. And um, although, although people don't want to find cancer late, screening is inherently frightening. Yeah. Um, because the if it's normal, it's great, but what if it's not? Mm-hmm. And so it's a convenient thing to delay psychologically. Mm-hmm. Um, and not everybody does, but we more more than people would think. So if you're listening to this and it's time and you know it's time, you're not alone if you're yeah. delaying and dragging your feet. And it's, it's convenient to be busy, mm-hmm. but we're all busy. Right. And we all make time in our life for the things that are absolutely must-haves yes. in our life. And so... My hope is that one person would hear this and say, you know what, I'm going to stop putting off that thing and go mm-hmm. ahead and do that thing because even though it is scary, acknowledge it, acknowledge that it's scary, but then go do the thing. Right. Um, and and um, nobody wants to find cancer. But the worst thing that can happen is we find cancer. That's not the worst thing. The wor- Finding cancer isn't the worst thing. Finding cancer and then hearing the following, it looks like it's pretty advanced. Yeah. Yeah. That's the worst thing. Mm-hmm. We found cancer, but it looks really early. That's not the worst thing that can happen. Mm-hmm. And the only way we find cancers late most of the time is if we're late to find it. Mm-hmm. Be early. Yeah. It's scary, yes, but be early. Because yeah. no one dies of stage one cancer. No one in the history of cancer. If you can find it at stage one, you can beat it. Yeah. But you can't find it unless you're looking. Right. And how many of us know somebody that, I mean, personally, I do, you do, that got that diagnosis and thankfully. I'm not sure anybody exists anymore right. on this planet. We all that doesn't know either firsthand know mm-hmm. the devastating news or has a loved one, a friend who got devastating news. It's touched us all. Yeah. Uh, directly or indirectly. Um, and I think that's the purpose of this. Uh, the next section is going to be about women-specific cancers. Um, Jen, I'll let you take the lead on this. We're not going to. This is not an all-inclusive list, but this list does cover the majority of female-related uh, cancers in terms of the top killers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, go ahead. And Give us a list of the cancers, what screening tests exist, maybe some of the complexity and confusion around screening Mm -hmm. um, so that folks can really have a focused view on. um, Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. Um, For women, the top killers cancer-wise are breast, cervical, and colon. Um, For breast cancer specifically, we have really great screening tools in a mammogram. And... um, most women that I talk to that have never had their first man- mammogram are terrified of them. Of <laughs> I can uh, say with certainty that there's nothing to be afraid of. Like you've mentioned before, um, very easy. It's painless. And um, you should really consider getting those if you haven't started already. Or if you're behind, make sure that you get those scheduled. Um, there's a lot of different guidelines out there <laughs> for screening. And we touched on this on a prior podcast about how confusing it is. Um, for women, like which guideline do I follow? Um, uh, But typically women need to start their mammograms at about age 40 um, to 44 and do them annually up 
you know, during the, the age. Obviously, if you have a family history of early breast cancer, um, you want to start those earlier, right? Like mm-hmm. up to 10 years from when yeah, they were diagnosed. Yeah, for any cancer, not just breast, if you have a specific cancer in your family that showed up, it is the universal recommendation to screen for that specific mm-hmm. cancer 10 years prior to the age of diagnosis of a first degree relative. So yeah. mom, dad, brother, sister. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if a mom had a cancer at 42, do not wait till you're 40 mm-hmm. to get screened. At 32 to 35, you should be getting a routine, establishing routine baseline. What do my breast, what does my breast tissue look like mm-hmm. over time so that if breast cancer is to show up, um, you'll have eyes on it super early. Yeah. And again, so you have a great outcome. Yes. This is all about not dying. Right. Okay. And once we achieve not dying, it's about improving quality of life and not suffering mm-hmm. and, and minimizing the suffering from these diseases. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's the 10 year rule. Love it. Um, women 55 and older, you can ideally switch to mammograms every two years, or you can just continue your yearly screening, you know? Um, and then a lot of women ask me, well, when can I stop getting these mammograms? Yeah. It's a fair question. Yeah. And ideally it's, uh, they should continue as long as the woman's in good health and expected to live 10 more years or longer. So for me personally, mm-hmm. um, as a, and as a provider, how long you do them is one of one. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I'm going to talk with the female member and we're going to talk about pros and cons, benefits, risks, historical context will matter. Do you have a history of never having a single blip on the radar mm-hmm. and no family history and you're 80 years old? That's a totally different conversation than super strong fam his, family history. Sometimes my mammograms look normal. Sometimes they're a little funky, but they always look a little bit like this. And then I'm out. That's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a different risk assessment that needs to take place for each individual woman, which goes back to the more data points we have, the more informed you can be and the more specific your plan of action can be based on your unique story yes absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. that's how i handle it with with women um so yeah breast the commonest cancer of 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 women is breast cancer uh we have really good screening tools Um, occasionally you'll find a new mutation where a younger below 40 will find breast cancer i have firsthand experience with that Mm -hmm. um and thank goodness we had access to um testing diagnostics Mm -hmm. team and we didn't have to wait and and we had a great outcome but that isn't always the story laws of averages say 40 is when you start that does not mean you cannot start before Mm -hmm. it just means you start moving to the left of the bell curve Mm -hmm. a little bit Mm -hmm. Um, and I always just an additional uh, screening mechanism would be your monthly self-breast exams. I still advocate for that in women um, just to kind of understand your anatomy, know what feels normal, what doesn't feel normal, so that you can alert somebody, your healthcare provider, if you do feel something abnormal. It's not popular in the recommendations. Yeah. But anecdotally, that's how my wife found hers. Yeah. Yep. Self-advocacy. Mm-hmm. You might think I'm crazy, but I feel a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what 
began the journey mm-hmm. and she was well below 40. Yeah. Um, um, so self-advocacy, another topic that we talk about a lot. And so if this is resonating with you, taking full ownership of your own health, I cannot speak to that any louder. Mm-hmm. I am fully supportive of of humans taking control and uh, ownership of their own health journey. Agreed. Um, and finding their right team and all of the mm-hmm. things that we talk about all the time. Uh, next most common and something that we have a great screening tool for is cervical cancer. Jen, talk about cervical cancer. Yeah, so we have the, the pap smear for the cervical uh, cancer screening. The U.S. Preventative Services <laughs> Task Force. <Tongue> twister. <laughs> I got it. Which, by the way, is one of many yes. uh, guidelines to consider. Mm-hmm. American Cancer Society has others. Like the yes. American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Like everybody has a, a rhythm mm-hmm. and a recommendation. But generally speaking, what are the recommendations? Uh, screening for cervical cancer every three years and uh, cervical cytology, which means we're um, looking, at the cells. looking at the cells of the mm-hmm. cervix, right? Um in women aged 21 to 29. Um, and then for women aged 30 to 65, they recommend screening every three years um, and every five years with HPV testing alone or every five years with HPV testing in combination with cytology, which is called co-testing. It's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but basically, pap smear start at age 21, irregardless of uh, sexual activity. That's a huge point to make. Which is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think a huge highlighted point of this particular subject of cervical cancer screening. Uh, stay tuned. Yeah. Uh, when I finished my training in the late 2000s, this was not the recommendation. Mm-hmm. This is new. And, and my understanding is there are new recommendations in the pipeline oh. to trickle down around cervical cancer screening, mostly because we now know unequivocally that cervical cancer is caused from HPV. Mm-hmm. The, end. the end. There are there are no other. There you have to have two things to have cervical cancer. You have to have a cervix, so men don't get cervical cancer, and you have to have HPV. Mm-hmm. Without one or the other, you cannot get cervical cancer. And so, as we understand more about the pathology and, and the origin of this disease, we understand how to better screen for it, assess the risk, mm-hmm. and move into the future. And this is the current recommendation, but this is also, especially if you have a younger uh, family member, um, this is, or you're a younger person, really pay attention to to this because mm-hmm. it's, this is being refined. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm actually pretty pleased with the way it's going with cervical cancer. Mm-hmm. Um. Colon cancer, um, this is a big one for men and women. It's mm-hmm. the, you know, it's the number two cancer killer on the planet of humans um, behind lung. Lung is the most dead, is it is the deadliest of all cancers. Not the most common. It's one of the most common, but it is not the most common, but it is the highest killer. Mm. And then right behind that is colon cancer. And again, except for some outliers, we really shouldn't be having death from colon cancer. Right. We should, it is very slow growing. We should be having eyes on it mm-hmm. uh, well in advance to cut it out and be cancer free. Mm-hmm. Um, more often than not, the story is a sad one of an outlier of a very young person. When you dig a little deeper, a profound family history of early colon cancer, typically. Yeah. Or somebody who just punted the idea for 15, 20 years, finds it, and then it's like, 
we have bad news. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a couple of different ways to screen for it. There really is. Mm-hmm. Um, the gold standard is a colonoscopy, yeah. which I am very much in favor of a colonoscopy. If that's clear, then you have 10 years. Mm-hmm. The reason is, is that you actually are inside the colon seeing the tissue where these cancers develop and you have the opportunity to preventatively remove polyps right so all colon cancer comes from a polyp Mm -hmm. but not all polyps become cancer but if you're going in every couple of years plucking off polyps every once in a while you're going to pluck off one that would have become a colon cancer the other tests although just as effective in reducing mortality and finding disease it requires far tighter windows of treatment, so these blood, uh, these stool tests. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I'm not going to get in the weeds of the recommendations. There's every year versus every three years versus every five years. If this, then that. You'll have to kind of talk with your doctor about which rhythm and cadence and sequence makes the most sense for you. But there are options outside of colonoscopy. I just prefer colonoscopy, all things being equal. Yeah. Um, and I think you do too, right? I'm I do. Speak for you, mm-hmm. but yeah. um, moving into, um, oh, I lost my page for men. Do you have it? Mm-mm. Oh, great. All right, we're gonna wing it. Improv. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we got this. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I'll go ahead and take up men. So this this last section is is male cancer screening. Uh, the most common cancer in men, far and away, is prostate cancer. Yes. Um, like there, there are no firm guidelines that are widely adopted for screening for prostate cancers. In my world, by the age of 40, I'm encouraging men to get an annual PSA, prostate-specific antigen. This is a blood test. You don't have to be fasting. It's dirt cheap, and it can save your life. Uh, and the more of these we have annually over time, the more eyes and optics, the more refined and the optics on, on this is. Uh, generally speaking, if the PSA is under four, we say it's not cancer. You and I both know that's not accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, not in individual health, maybe in population health on right. average. That might be a true statement. Or maybe not true, but accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not cost effective. Uh, is really a way to talk about that. But we we believe strongly in PSAs. Um, if a PSA is over four or in our world, if there's a doubling, the rate of rise mm-hmm. in, in two years or less, this is an indication that this is not, there's something going on. It may not be cancer, but there is something going on. It could be prostatitis, just a little infection. It could be BPH, where you have a men as they age to get big prostates mm-hmm. that can kick off PSA. But it certainly could be an early prostate cancer. And so we have a way of thinking about this. But if we can be, if we can't get clear on what the origin of this rate of rise is, we'll do a prostate MRI. Right. And not a prostate MRI. We don't go right to biopsy. Uh, we believe that a, a blind biopsy is, you can only have so much confidence uh, in a blind biopsy. Mm-hmm. I, I would much rather have an image that identifies a spot of concern with the actual geography of it and then go into biopsy where you actually know the specific region that you're targeting. Prostate cancer, again, um, starts showing up in the fifth, sixth decades of life. Um, By the time a guy is 80, he's got about an 80% chance of having prostate cancer. At that point, if it develops that late, most thought leaders will say you'll die with it, not from it. Mm -hmm. 
Most thought leaders also are of the belief at this point in our understanding of the disease that if you're going to get it, you're going to get it. Right. Like there's there's not much you're doing. It's not your testosterone therapy. It's not riding a bicycle. It's not it. Some people are going to get it. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a lot of a lot of debate around this subject, uh, not necessarily for you and I, but in the world, in the universe, there is a lot of confusion. There are a lot of opinions and the science really is telling us you're just going to get it if you're going to get it. Mm -hmm. So be on the lookout and act early, be on offense, which is why we're very offensive minded. Yes. Um, so that's um, without my notes. Look at you. <laughs> um, prostate colon. Mm -hmm. Colon, again, is the number two for, for men. Same thing with women. Same recommendation. There's nothing unique about a man's colon versus a female's colon. Um, Get the screening early. New recommendations are not 50, they're 45. Begin screening. Obviously, if you have a family history, do it earlier than that. Uh, high on the list of men cancers beyond colon would be things like bladder cancer. No real good recommendations on that. We do an annual urine analysis. We look for screening tests like blood. Mm -hmm. It's a very cheap, easy way. If there's anything weird, we put a camera inside the bladder and look around. So again, if you're getting regular touch points, dying from bladder cancer probably should not happen. Right. Um, um, then we have things like melanoma, uh, both for men and women, uh, rounding out like the top five. Mm -hmm. Again, reg predisposition, people like me, fair skin, northern European roots. Um, we don't do well with total sun exposure over total time. Some sort of screening rhythm regularly looking for for melanomas um, they are uniquely devastating mm -hmm. um, mostly because of uh, how fast and how deep they go oh yeah um, uh, what, what am I missing Jen? lung what about lung yeah, cancer? so lung cancer that's a good one so lung cancer is the number one cancer killer um, we don't have a ton of really really good screening tests although we now have some approval for a low emission cat scan to do annually if you have a 20 pack year history of smoking. So that's some combination of either number of packs per day or number of years smoked if they equal 20. So if one pack a day for 20 years would be 20 or two packs a day for 10, like you can do the math. Yeah. Like it's a 20 pack year history um, that you should be doing them annually. And I believe that starts at 50 mm -hmm. through 75. Mm -hmm. So it's annual. Um, the only exception would be is if you've quit greater than 15 years. Right, yeah. So the science tells us that if you're more than 15 years out of quitting your 20-pack history, you're out of the weeds, mm -hmm. um, that it would have shown up, um, that particular disease, which is interesting. Um, that doesn't help us at all for um, a terrible killer, uh, certain subsets of lung cancer that happen to non-smokers. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just going to ask you about that. It doesn't really help us <laughs> yeah. with that particular screening test. Um, I think looking back at both men and women for some of these cancers that are as ba both a contingency and a, and a redundant, uh, not contingency, but a redundancy to some of these cancers that were already have well-established screening tools. But for all of these cancers like pancreatic and liver and lung and a non-smoker, all of these solid organ tumors that we don't have any screening tools we have 
created a ton of content on the new test called um, Grail by Gallery mm-hmm. or Gallery by Grail. Grail Gallery, um, yep. It's unbelievable mm-hmm. blood test screens for somewhere between 40 and 50 of the most common cancers. And it is a looking in your blood for actual cancer cells. Yes. And it's something that we are really excited about. Uh, again, very sweaty palm. There's some fear. It needs to be managed. There are downsides there, but there is a tremendous upside. We like to th- start thinking about this as people age in through their 40s to 50. By around 50, it really makes a lot of sense because the fifth decade of life is when we start seeing these cancers mm-hmm, show up. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, let's find it early. Yeah, and that test in particular is really accurate, and yes. it will give you a signal of origin. So with pretty you know, pretty high accuracy, very high accuracy. It'll it's lead, north of 95. I lead think us I down say the 97, path. 98%. Yeah, where exactly that cancer may be. Which is pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is something you and your provider can walk through. We, we are getting them with great frequency, mm-hmm. um, explaining them in detail, the benefits, the downsides. Let's manage the downside. Is it worth it? And most of the time for most people, this is something that we like to layer in as an extra redundancy mm-hmm. and to put our eyes out on cancers that absolutely are killers that we don't have any other way of knowing Yeah, that you have to wait till you have symptoms, but symptoms are always a late finding. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I think that kind of wraps up. I mean, the point is we have great screening tools for the most common cancers. Mm-hmm. Don't sleep on those. Yeah. Um, you know, action steps. I, I think we kind of end a lot of our episodes like this. You know, number one, let's draw some attention to something that matters. This absolutely matters. Find your team. Find your team. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like that has to be step one. Yeah. Find your person, whoever that is. And you might have your person. God bless. That's amazing. But if you don't feel like you have your person, you need to find a provider wh- whose goals and values are aligned with you, mm-hmm. who creates enough margin to have these types of meaningful conversations about something that matters as much as cancer. Yes. Uh, especially if you're a high risk um, due to family history or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really need a place to be able to have these conversations. Um, and I might add too, you know, in that same realm, trusting your healthcare provider to verbalize and be vulnerable about mm-hmm. maybe why you're resistant to getting some of these tests so that they can help walk yeah, you through that and you know uh, maybe relay some of your fears of getting these done you know I mean I personally didn't want to get my colonoscopy done yeah. <laughs> it was the last thing on my list and I was way behind but having done it and been through it it's fine you know and I can speak to it now with our members and say mm-hmm. hey you know I tell me exactly why we're resistant to doing this is it being put to sleep is it the prep you know what yep. is it and let's talk about it yeah, I, I mean, I think, uh, again, progress begins with telling the truth. Yeah. And so what are, what are we actually afraid of? Mm-hmm. Um, and let's talk about that and see if we can get to a comfortable place mm-hmm. because this is. Or is it the, the, the you know, n- getting the result back and it might be positive yeah. for something. That's, you know, even worse than the actual procedure itself. Talking them through that and helping them is, is really one of my biggest privileges as a healthcare provider. So I agree. Mm hmm. Well, that's it for this episode. This is really about um, let's be smart about our screenings. Yeah. Um, there, there are pretty good screening um, tools available for some of the most common where we don't have them. Grail really 
is a wonderful safety net. Mm-hmm. It is not a replacement, but in conjunction, I think it offers a really um, thoughtful approach to intelligent screening for mm-hmm. cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, because we want people not to die. Yes. And uh, we, we want people to suffer less. Yes. Uh, I think that would be our our motive. Any famous last words before we close up, Jen? Oh, uh, I love this episode. Uh, I hope it serves some people. I hope it helps you not only think about cancer screening and the screenings that you might need, whether you're male or female, but also help you decide which ones you need now based on the guidelines. Talk to your health care provider about that and hopefully get up to date if you're behind. Yeah, I, I echo all of that. And one last thing is you're not alone if you're afraid. Yeah. And if, if fear is the reason that it's convenient to delay or defer, um, just know that you're not alone in that fear, that that's a normal human response for many, many people. Um, but it may or may not be real fear. Yeah. And you just need a place to talk that through. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, until we see you again, take care. I want to thank you so much for your attention. Listen, I don't take it for granted. It means the absolute world to me. You can find out more about today's episode at brentwoodmd.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find the show notes, all the related links to this episode and tons of other resources. If you haven't already subscribed, please do so. And if you've already subscribed, then it would mean so much to me if you left a review. If you think we'd be a good fit to work together, or you would just simply like to know more about the concierge services that I provide my private clients, email us at membership at brentwoodmd.com. And now for the obligatory disclaimer, this podcast is for general information only and does not constitute the practice of medicine or the giving of medical advice as no doctor-patient relationship has been formed. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should seek the advice of their own medical professional providers.